the opinions expressed on this podcast show are expressly the opinions of myself and or my guests and are in no way connected to Anchor, which is this podcast platform, Spotify, any other available platforms or companies. Welcome to Keep Talking, and I am your host, Betty Collins. This week, I want to start by saying thank you to all of you for listening, especially when I'm doing interviews. It was brought to my attention this week, and I've noticed it myself when I listen, when I re-listen to my podcast, that when I'm interviewing a guest, my voice comes across a lot louder than my guest's voice. So I'm still learning this platform, so I thank you very, very much for your patience. So how is everyone this week? Wow, the changes, eh? Changes, changes, changes. And as I say that word, I'm reminded that one of the only constants in life, actually, is change. A new month is about to begin. Schools are reopening after an almost six-month close. A lot of students aren't going back to the classroom, but they're continuing their education via Zoom or many of the available school platforms, because now there are so incredibly many. How different the world looks now in comparison to 10 years ago. It's incredible. Hey, even last year. Personally, I am very proud to be a Newfoundland Canadian, as our province has this pandemic well in hand. People are talking about a second wave. I do not think that is going to happen here. Not on our beautiful island in the North Atlantic. Yes, the occasional case will pop up, but we know how to handle it. And we are doing an amazing job of that. Other places in Canada and the world don't seem to be doing quite as well as we are. But here, in our little corner of heaven, it's almost business as usual. With many more health protocols in place, of course. I personally think that the this entire world, the change that we're seeing, it's reminiscent of almost every 100-year cycle on this planet. Something has to shake us up to find sense in everything that's going on out there. And this year is the year for that, for sure. One thing I seriously want to remind everyone listening, and this... I, I say this regularly and generally, especially when we feel like, why am I here? What am I, what is it? Why am I in this place I'm in? We are always exactly where we are supposed to be at any given moment, even if we're stuck in traffic and we're ripping our hair out. Stop ripping your hair out and realize that the reason you're stuck in traffic or stuck in that line outside of some store or in some store, it's quite possible that you're avoiding something a lot a lot more serious than just having to wait. And having to wait actually gives us some time to reflect. As we know from this spring, the, the amount of waiting that we all did. And here's another one. And some believe this and some don't. I, I believe it. I truly believe we are all always taken care of if we believe we are because you can hold the belief that we're never taken care of and you won't be 
because that's the way the universe works. It just answers everything we ask. So if we if we put it out there that, no, we're not taken care of, we're never taken care of. Well, you know what? We're not. But if we truly believe in our heart of hearts, you know, if you can look back over the span of time that you've lived and realize, okay, we've gotten through X, we've gotten through Y, we've gotten through W, we've even gotten through Z. So we are taken care of. To me, this year is all about truth. It's 2020 vision, clear seeing, because it's 2020. It's the beginning of a decade, which is going to be much bigger than all of us put together, I feel. There are changes happening on a personal level to everyone that no amount of hindsight could have foreseen. Anyone having difficulties this year, no, here's another cliche, that this too shall pass. And yet another, trust the process. And I, that word, that word, just we need to keep that word front and center, trust. Faith and trust are the biggest of all this year. Faith in yourself and the fact that you can get through whatever it is you're going through or have been through or will go through. You will, one way or another, get through it. So both words of trust and faith are huge. And I use them regularly in my daily repertoire because, yes, even I too have experienced massive changes. Changes to my physical body that are frustrating and at overtimes, at, oh, I'm sorry, overtimes, what is overtimes? At times, overwhelming. So, when I, when I am overwhelmed, I generally turn my face to the sky, let the emotions out again, let them run down my face, and then pull it all back together. I feel like I'm incredibly blessed to have a supportive husband and daughter and two gorgeous four-legged fur babies and a beautiful two uh, beautiful fur-legged uh, grand animals or grand pets I should call them and the my own two puppy dogs and they're not puppy dogs Dr. Pepper as, as most people know I have a Dr. Pepper who is a cross he's a he's part lab he's part retriever he's part a lot. He's black and he's absolutely beautiful. And then I have Normie, who is our beagle, and he's a foster. He's 15 years old, and the past 10 years of his life, he's had it pretty good. He's had it pretty good. The boys have a nice big garden out back that they can run around in, so we don't have to go to dog parks. We don't, they don't, they're not getting um, anybody, any other dogs, germs or whatever, because they've got this huge, big playground. And it's just as they open the door, they go and come whenever they feel like it. And if they want to come in, they come in. If they want to stay out, they stay out. So I want to talk about as well how our extended family, our pets and our fur family, how they make us feel so good. When I get this frustrating and, and this frustrated feeling and I'm feeling really low about this 3D suit that I'm, I'm wearing while I'm inhabiting this planet, 
Dr. Pepper is the one who seems to, he understands when I get upset. And he actually comes and hugs me. It's like, oh, Nanny, need a hug. You really need a hug. And he's just so sweet. And he puts his head on my shoulder and I can cry into his fur if he, he, he will let me do that. Just so sweet. And you know what? He never judges me. Never. He, it's just what comes out of those, our pets. Anybody, anybody who knows, anybody who has a pet at all knows that it's nothing but pure, unadulterated, unconditional love on four legs. Like, how can that make you unhappy? It just makes my heart sing thinking about them, even as I sit here looking at both of them. And for those who don't have pets in the traditional sense, you know, the, the four-legged type, I'm willing to bet you have a pet project or a person in your life who you consider a pet. No, not the type that needs their ears scratched. No, no, no. But a person who's close to you, someone who you feel really fondly about, someone who gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling. That person could be a parent or a sibling, a close friend, a relative. doesn't have to be a partner. Anyone who makes you feel good about yourself could be your pet. So, having said all that, today I have a guest who isn't me, <laughs> but has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth. It, this woman is just, she's a compendium of knowledge about our four-legged friends. She's a woman who researches and digs out all kinds of possibilities and probabilities and is very, very concerned about our pet's nutrition. And I am so glad that today we will become a little more educated on this topic. Stay tuned because after the break, we're going to hear some information that made me say, whoa. Welcome back, everyone. We've got a fantastic guest this evening. Our guest this evening is going to talk about our favorite people, the four-legged kind, because you know everyone out there, just about everyone out there has a pet of some sort, and there are buddies. My guest this evening is Robin Pope. Hi, Robin. How are you doing this evening? Good. How are you? I'm great. I want you to talk to us about pets. Tell me what kind of, I know you're a wealth of information. So what are we going to start with? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Oh, you're um, kind of welcome. I'm sure you did an intro, a little, um, you know, uh, disclaimer intro. I did. Um, oh, yes. I'm not in any way, shape or form a healthcare practitioner. Okay. Yeah. So just so everybody knows that, right. um, everything that I do say today is based on my hands-on experience. It's based on advice from my mentors. Mentors? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who are you? Who are uh, well, mentors? my breeders. Ah. My mentors. I mean, um, I've had two dog breeders in my lifetime, and I mean, I don't know where I'd be without two of them. They're, they're my mentors. Excellent. Yep. And a lot, a lot, a lot of Oh, yeah. 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 And cross-referencing <laughs> sources. 
as well. Okay. Right? Because you can never be too careful when it comes to living voiceless beings whom we are 100% responsible for. That's a fact. Right? Our animals only know one constant, really, and that's us, really. Yeah. Us could be a person, us could be a family, but bottom line, it's our responsibility to make sure that these guys get their best chance. Right? That's right. a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. Right, so my own canine experience started out slowly in 2001. Okay. And by New Year's 2002, myself and a boyfriend at the time had a dog. Okay. A little tiny lab mix named Zoe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When we split Zoe, uh, he took Zoe with him because it just made sense mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. But after that, it's like everybody I knew had a dog. Yeah. I experienced Labrador, purebred Labrador Retrievers, Toblerone Pinchers, Valley Bulldogs and Boxers, Rottweilers, Mastiffs, Beagles, German Shepherds, like just to name a few. You've had a few. <laughs> yeah, and then when I go on, when I, I went on to become a bather in a grooming salon, so I got to experience all the breeds then, and a lot of that was hands on the dog at all times. Cool, yeah. That was my very, very favorite job, bathing at a salon, I've got to say. Um, I never did go on to become a full groomer by trade, but what I did learn was in that time was invaluable. invaluable. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I finally got my first dog, finally. Okay. <laughs> I brought him home on March of, in 2008, and he was this tiny little five-pound, tan, smooth coat, apple-head chihuahua. <laughs> and of course I shopped for my breed, right? He was originally supposed to be a white boxer. Then I a white boxer. Oh yeah, white boxer. That was my one white boxer. And okay. then I learned about Dogo Argentinos, which are just beautiful animals. And they're just all white and fully breed. They're hard to find. And I even considered Dalmatian at one point. That's that's an idea I okay. may revisit soon, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I soon came to learn that my own breed was wrapped up in a teeny tiny little box and had the heart of a stoic dictator. So, <laughs> so what was yeah. his name or, or her name? His name was Root Bear. <laughs> Root so Bear. Soccer, Root Bear, yeah. So cool. you know, the day I brought Root Bear home, my breeder told me something that would stick with me for the rest of my life. What was that? And she said that veterinarians are wonderful. They provide, yeah. you know, a, a lot of necessary roles in pet ownership, and we need them. But at the same time, they are not the end-all, be-all. And I know yeah. I'm going to get a lot of slack for that one, but they are not the end-all, be-all. And I'll explain myself. Not from me, you won't. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> uh, she told me that if something didn't feel right, to go with my gut. And she also said, told me to do my research. Three words that I cannot say enough. Knowledge is power. It is. Right. Yes. So at that point, like she really pushed this point. Like when I got home with Rupert, I opened my email and it was full of emails from my breeder. And, you know, there was attachments in these emails that contained studies and research about everything, like how to take care of a puppy for eight weeks and up. Tons of training advice, crate training, potty training, recall training, command training. There was info on diet and exercise and healthcare, spaying, neutering, testing, dogs, wow. vaccines, wow. inoculations, everything. And I wow. have not stopped saying not stop since <laughs> on that 21st day of march in 2008 at exactly 4 45 p.m i made a lifelong promise and commitment to that dog to do my very best by him from that moment uh-huh. until the moment he took his last breath yeah. and i've entered myself into the same contract with every other animal that has come into my life since oh wow 
I try my absolute hardest to give my pets their best chance, basically. So, I do what I do. My research, my research, my research. research. So, back then, the focus of my research was around animal serology at the time. Serology, did you say? Yeah, serology, like um, Laura mentioned. Yes, yes, yes. yes, Laura, two two, two, uh, podcasts ago. Right. Medicine, serology, and it's about like the, the, the blood, basically, the study of the blood and, you know, things that are really oh, right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah that right. kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, things like immunization, vaccination, and inoculation, stuff like that. And this was right around the time, 2008, when um, the adverse effects of over-vaccination were rearing their ugly head, like, way too bold for any pet animal advocate to keep ignoring it. It was just too too crazy. So it was around right. that time that they changed a pet's vaccine schedule from once a year to once every three years. So really? I do feel blessed that I missed that, you know? Yeah. Over-vaccination yeah. is not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. It's a hit to the mitochondria, which is something we'll talk about later, but, but it's not a joke. Okay. So um, at this point, I think it will be a good thing for me to mention also that I'm not a vet hater. Not to talk, keep talking about myself, but I don't hate vets. Some keyboard warriors out there have called me a vet hater. and I can't imagine um, that, though. No, and it's, it's nice to be able to actually speak on it as opposed to typing on it. <laughs> so hopefully it'll yeah. help clear, clear people's, people's opinions off that I'm not hating on anyone. No. What I don't like is what, and I don't, what I don't agree with is the whole process. The truth is some of my idols are vets and work in that field. Idols? Oh, yeah. Who, oh, yeah. Who are so they? Tell me who your idols are, yeah. I'm obsessed with Jane Goodall. Obsessed. Oh, so she's yes. A yes. Um, if for anybody that doesn't know, she incorporated herself into a group full of baboons because she wanted to study their behavior. And she recognized that if we remove them from their environment or if we went into their environment and started studying them, they acted differently. So she basically incorporated her whole life to this. She, she lived with a baboon. She was a baboon, essentially. And that's yeah. where she got a lot of information. So she was she's an amazement to me. Then we've got Dr. Karen Becker, who is my dream vet. She is an American vet, and she's followed in the footsteps of her father. And she's so proactive. Like, and that's what I love about her. She never stops learning. Good. Yeah. She has her her Mercola uh, Facebook page and her uh, Mercola website have been, they're basically my version of an animal Bible. And when all all else fails, yep, I resort to a, what would Dr. Karen Becker do philosophy? Excellent. And luckily enough, she has a Canadian counterpart, Rodney Habib. Okay. He's a, yeah, he's an internet celebrity, um, uh, but I don't believe that describes him well enough. He's used his celebrity status to do amazing things. Uh, okay. He advocates for animals and pets in particular. Yeah. And he oftentimes works alongside Dr. Karen Becker, and he uses his knowledge and experience to make films, write award-winning blogs, give lectures, list of them. Wow. Yeah, and he's also the founder of the largest pet health page on Facebook. It's called Planet Paws for anybody. Planet. So yeah, Planet. Yeah, a lot of wealth of information there. And the Mercola website with Dr. Karen Becker. Awesome. Awesome. Could you spell that Mercola for me, Robin, please? Yeah, Mercola is um, M, as in like M. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, e. Yeah. R. Right. And then Cola, C-O-L-A. Okay, Mercola. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Planet Planet Paws, P-A-W-S. Planet Paws, yeah, Planet Paws. Okay. And, you know, so I think it's evident that I don't hate vets. Not not at all. What I dislike, is hate's a strong word, what I dislike 
and what upsets me the most is the lack of further of the lack of vets and furthering their education. And when I say further education, I mean any education that is not taught by a or a collective of a or any type of a pet food company or companies. There you go. I think this is where most people get confused. There's a bias here that is so large that, in my humble opinion, needs to be recognized. Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah, the pet nutrition portion of a vet schooling is taught primarily by pet food companies. That's crazy. Training offered in vet clinics to their staff is hosted and is taught primarily by pet food companies. Crazy. So there seems to be a lack of vets who wander outside that realm of indoctrination to explore things on their own or who branch off and do anything besides what the Western world deems okay or normal, like what Karen Becker does. Okay. Uh, Dr. Karen Becker, sorry, that was rude. Um, <laughs> so if you've been paying attention, you'll notice that basically any branch of anything off of anything, they understand that there's more than one way to do things. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? The majority, you know, the majority of healthcare fields in the world, the majority of any type of field in the world knows that there's more than one way to do something. And the, well, you know, it's... Majority- it's- Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, it's like me doing a haircut. I mean, exactly. if, if, you were, if you were a yeah. hairdresser, if we were working side by side and we were doing the exact same haircut, I'd be doing it totally differently than you would. Exactly. Right? And I'm sure you furthered your education. And I mean, I'm sure your education Absolutely. Stop at hair school. You had to have no. courses and, and done competitions and all kinds of things. Absolutely. Wash your yeah. I mean, you know, exactly here, vets have a responsibility to, and I'm not saying that here's any less than no, um, vets, no, no, but, but you're, it's not life or death. Hair grows back. You know what I mean? What vets do yes, and, can very and well be life or death. <laughs> we're giving our life, our, our pets lives over to these people. Yeah, exactly. And we're trusting them with them. Yes. And you know, so you kind of need them to, leave the realm of indoctrination and realize that there are more than one way to do things, not only just in other fields of medicine, but in veterinary medicine as well. Hundred percent. You know, that's too much of a bias, I think, for me or anybody to ignore yeah. them. And You're well, right. the, the issue is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than vets. It's even bigger than the clinics. You know, it doesn't, at the same time and with the same breath, it doesn't take all that much basic common sense to see it. It's like right there. It's right under our noses. It's true. And I, you know what? I haven't heard one person yet not complain about the cost of taking our beautiful four-legged friends to the vet. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard one person. They scream overhead. I don't buy it. Oh, all the time. All the time. I don't buy it. You know, this is something, you know, people just don't want to hear it. The proof is much larger than any pudding, but they don't want to hear it. True. You know, and I think it goes back to the great wolf debate, is what I call it. Um, okay. I do not believe for one second that domestic dog breeds and wolves share 99 or 99.9% of DNA. I, I don't believe that. I think, and no. I believe, and I don't quote me on this, um, that that was a pet food company that actually started with that nonsense. Anyhow, I do believe that they hmm. do share DNA. And I'm also of the belief that the amount of DNA shared likely depends on the domestic dog breed. So like if you've got a husky, he probably shares more DNA with the wolf than a chihuahua, probably. Makes you know what sense. I mean? Like that makes sense. perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think my belief and the belief of other people, it's not the only belief, but it's the belief I have. 
and it's you know, I could go into other beliefs for days, but I think <laughs> that wolves and dogs more than likely came from an ancient extinct species of canine that we haven't discovered yet. That's my belief. Wow. Yeah. Um, we what we do know is that dogs were domesticated somewhere between twenty and forty thousand years ago. Now that's a big gap. That's twenty thousand. It is years a big gap. A gap, right? Yeah. And I think the reason being, and this is absolutely fascinating, and I've got this from the Smithsonian Magazine actually. Dogs have been domesticated not once, but twice over the course of history, and I find that absolutely fascinating. And I think that's why there's a big gap, because I think maybe they're not sure of which one happened first, the domestication that we see now or the domestication that died off. Ah, because I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking fascinating, too. Anyway, go on. The other domestication (laughs) apparently was within a British colony that was quite small. So the colony died off, as did the domestication of breeds. So we will never see or know, unless somebody finds some sort of evidence, we will never see or know what these breeds were. Okay. So there was a whole nother, you know, so I think that's why maybe we don't understand which one happened first. I don't know, but that's a big, I know it's a big span of time, but um, as it stands right now, wolves are carnivores and we know that's a, that's a meat eating species. They do eat some material, but not enough, not even close enough to call them an omnivore. Dogs are omnivores like us. We eat both. Right. Yep. So I do not believe that dogs were always omnivores. I think, I don't believe that. Okay. I think that humans started that because dogs were originally domesticated to help us in our hunting, hunting and gathering routine. So I think that when that started, um, that dogs were carnivores just like wolves. And I think for the most part, they, they stayed carnivores for as long as they could, with the exception of nights where they just there was just no meat to be had. I think in those days, dogs could roam and hunt for their own food if need be. Obviously, they helped in the daytime with, you know, the, the, the people going out and hunting, right, and gathering. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. But if they had it, they may have had an unlucky day, both out with the owner and maybe they go out later on in the night and they don't get anything to eat. So I think they come back and the human counterparts probably fed them, you know, foliage and berries to help keep their energy up, which, of course, is perfectly understandable. Um, yeah. At that point in in time, you know, and mm-hmm. but but I still don't think they were given enough plant material to be considered full omnivores at that time. I think they probably still would have been carnivores. But as time wore on and the world evolved and adapted, table scraps became more or less the diet of a pet dog. Dogs, oh, yeah. and, dogs and cats in the modern world came into the modern world with upper middle class families. That's who primarily owned these guys, and they ate what we ate, right? So yeah. I believe yeah. that was the point where. They were getting enough plant matter in their diet to label themselves omnivores, and then that sets them apart, of course, from the whole wild wolf counterpart thing, right? Oh, okay. So, you know, what's going on with pet food, right? Like, if they were eating yes. material and stuff like that, where, where did pet food come into this, right? Right. Um, so, it has a pretty colorful, strange, vivid history, uh, and it began not too long after the Industrial Revolution, or, as we know it today, the first Industrial Revolution that went on from 1760 to 1840. So about two decades after that is where pet food began, which kind of puts things into perspective. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, almost cliche uh, to the point of it being grotesquely cliche, in my, in my opinion. But in 1860, the very first commercial pet food was developed and it was introduced to the market. It was invented by an electrician who gave... An electrician? Food. Yeah, an electrician. He gave okay. up his career selling lightning rods in order to yeah. produce the first non-perishable dog food. So he was inspired by hard tech. Okay, so hard tech. Newfoundland's hard tech. Well, it's a big, yeah, yeah. It's 
purity higher tech, right? It's a biscuit yeah. made of flour, water, and if they got lucky, salt, right? right? And it was eaten by sailors who had extra long trips at sea and needed a provisional non-expiring food that could just merely sustain them till they could get real food. Right? Yes. This, this, this electrician, his name was James Spray. Yes, okay. Spray. The big, the big man, I call him. The big uh, man. The big man. He came up with Spratt's meat fibrine dog cakes. Okay, so these were uh, apparently quite pricey. A one, a one fifty pound dog bag, one fifty pound bag of dog food was said to cost about a day's wage made in one day doing an upper middle class job. So, wow. Picking, yeah, picking up on this. Spratt or the Bicky Man, uh, he marketed these Bickies to the upper middle class, who at the time okay. made up, like I said, the majority of you know pets, dog, cat owners. Yeah. And he even went so far as to narrow the marketing of this stuff down even further to include primarily upper middle class men, because in those days they were the people working, they were the people making the money, and therefore they were the people who mainly had the say as to where the money went. Right. <laughs> so. I think that, that, well, that was true for basically most of the upper middle class or anybody really at that time. Um, I think, though, at first, this guy Spratt, I think his intentions were, like, mainly pure at first. I think what he wanted to do was offer a non-perishable food item to pets in case they needed it for, like, an emergency or an extended trip, like humans would or whatever. Okay. Yeah. You know, but, but we all also know what the road to hell is paved with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As yeah. The, the, the decade wore on, and despite the high cost and, and despite Spratt's less than transparent attitude, apparently, regarding the meat source in these Bicky cakes, I'll call them, um, yeah. Yeah. They, they became all the rage. They became all the rage. So people just gave up the whole table scrap yeah. thing and they traded it in for Bickies. So and what is this meat source that's well, in this book? Well, the, um, I'll read you the ingredient list now on, on this on the Vicky the Vicky bag. <laughs> okay. Uh, blended wheat. Yeah. Vegetables. Yeah. Beetroot. Okay. And then we have the dried, unsalted, gelatinous part of furry beef. So I uh oh I don't know what what, yeah. what is it? You tell me. <laughs> I lost I I lost you for a second. The gelatinous part. Okay, it's the unsalted. Yeah. Gelatinous part of prairie beef. Prairie beef. Prairie beef. So you tell me, right? You tell me. Probably a bit of wild blown in there too. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. yeah, He was very, he wasn't transparent about what that was, right? No, Um, no. So um, these, it it only took a decade. And these these biscuits gained this, all this success and popularity. So um, this guy starts getting rich quick, quick, and he he ran he ran with it. He was like, okay, yay, lots of money, let's go, right? So any yeah. good intentions that he possibly had, and, and that were the driving force into this food, um, were basically as out, out of date as giving table scraps was at the time. So this Spratt guy went on to develop a very aggressive marketing and advertising strategy that would target all pet owners and target also people who put their dogs in show rings to compete as well. And they were now okay. said to be the only thing a domestic dog would need for the rest of its life. Um, and, he, and this guy was actually the guy who started the whole recipes for different stages of life thing. So puppy bickies and adult bickies and senior bickies. So, and we still use that. You know, we, we still use that as, as a way to buy dog food today. It's true. You know, this, this, so this guy comes up with this, you know, in the 1800s. We've been being duped since the late 1800s. 200 and, years. And now, yeah, another crazy thing about this guy, in, in 1889, this guy goes and he buys the first ever cover 
of the American Kennel Club Journal. And he got all his rich buddies to call in and give these 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 bickies these raving reviews, right? So these rich, influential men are giving these neat fibrine cakes, this, you know, all this popularity. And Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's kind of worth noting here that, you know, this guy Spratt, he took whatever was in that random meat source, like whatever that unsalted, gelatinous part of the prairie beef was, he took that to his grave. No, like nobody knows what that was. Honest to God. Yeah, so that's pretty creepy. But, you know, the 1900s were just around the corner, and that was a good and a bad thing. Um, commercial pet food, like, was an industry that was busting with potential at this point, right? Yeah. Large companies, yeah, large companies started to notice. You know, everyone wanted a piece of that proverbial pie. Yeah. There was a company called Ken L. Ration, and he came out with the first canned dog food. And that was in the U.S., and it was in 1922. Wow. It was, yeah, it was made of horse meat, so... It was quite nutritious, but the company wanted to deal with the least amount of slack and produce the best quality pet food. Okay. So they were, they, yeah, they were careful with what they put on the, the label. So they, they, they marketed it as lean red meat, but they did put the actual origin of the meat, the fact that it was um, horse, in little letters at the bottom of the label. So it was there to read if you wanted to, you know, read. Yeah. Um, and the, pan, the canned food was actually set apart from all other, well, when I say all other, the Vickies, set apart from the Vickies, but um, the fact that it had a, a stamp from the government, a stamp of approval on it from the actual government. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and, and this is the beginning, it had a 90% share of the market. Yes. So, yeah, so by 1941, canned food had basically taken over. Goodbye, Vickies. Hello, canned food. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and it was so popular, in fact, that they had to slaughter 50,000 horses a year just to satiate the people. <sighs> So wow. then, then 1942 comes, right? Yeah. And we're like in the World War II now. So that's not, that's not good times, right? Not a time no. a good time was had there. So um, it, it, and of course we know rations happened. They rationed meat, they rationed metals. And because pet food was not considered essential at the time, that meant that no metals and no meat for the pet food industry. Wow. So, um, and they were getting a lot of slack from horse lovers who were like, stop killing 50,000 horses a year. So yeah, they were yeah. like, let's, let's get creative. Time to get creative. So um, in 1950, General Mills, which is a company I think everybody knows. Yes. Um, they bought out Vicky Man. So Vicky Man is no longer in the picture now. I don't know what he did. Um, <clears throat> and at around the same time, the Ralston Purina Company started messing yes. with the machine that was used to produce Chex breakfast cereal. Wow. Yeah, okay. They want, yeah, they wanted to come up with an alternative to both those hard, old hardtack knock-ons and yeah. also a canned food. Okay. Right? The canned food had gained so much popularity with pet parents. The, so did those old hardtack knockoffs. And an added bonus was these were cereal companies or companies that sold cereal, I should say. So they had tons of cereal boxes to use for packaging just for the time being. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. We know now that just for the time being ended up being until the end of time as we know today. Forever, be, yeah. Now. yeah. Um, so basically the pet food industry as we know it today started in 1956. That was when the very first dry kibble was produced. 56? 1956, yep. Um, so they had come up with this method called extrusion and it was through their playing around with the checks machine that they did this, right? So it's the, yeah. same, it's the same method basically that's used to make the majority of pet food that's made today, right? 
Okay. Uh, they use extrusion to make very large quantities of shelf-stable foods, like sugary breakfast cereals and all that really healthy stuff. <laughs> yeah, great, <laughs> right? great, um, yeah. And the extrusion process is actually carcinogenic due to, you know, heterocyclic amines and stuff, you know, carcinogens, but we'll get into that in a minute. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So basically the process begins when wet and dry ingredients are mixed to yep. make a dough, which is how you make dough anyway. But sure. they, do, they, they take the dough and they push it into this machine and it's called an expander. And the expander cooks this dough under extreme pressure, extreme yep. amounts of steam and extremely high temperatures. And we know what happens there. Where does the nutrition go? Yeah, really, down the drain. Gone, right? Yeah, so, down the drain. Right, exactly. And then um, once they do that, they push it then through a die cut machine. That's it. And then they cut it in those little cute shapes we see, like bones and stuff that we see as kibble today, right? Yeah, yeah. Kibble gained traction right away. And ten, eight years later, in 64, the Pet Food Institute, which was just a group of pet food industry lobbyists, they launched a series of ad campaigns, and basically what they were telling the public was everything else was out and pet food was in. Commercial okay. dog food was the only option for feeding a pet. Table scraps were no longer acceptable. Human food was no longer acceptable to feed to animals. And if you look around, you can see that that campaign was extremely successful. Yeah, it was. And this is when what I call nutritional abuse began. For 55 years, our pets have been nutritionally abused. Let that sink in. That's crazy. So that is, <laughs> isn't that crazy? That's so let's, crazy. Let's compare it to feeding a human child. Yes, okay. Okay, so if we fed our children in the same manner that we fed our pets, yeah. kids would start off on Happy Meals, no joke. Now, okay. Now, if you fed kibble if, if you do feed kibble so consistently that your dog not only gets the same brand of food but also the same flavor your child would only ever be allowed one type of happy meal ever so if they pick chicken nuggets that's it that's all they would get chicken nuggets every day three meals a day 365 that's it wow and if they, want, if they wanted a burger you'd have to weed them so instead of six nuggets you do five nuggets and a bite of a burger then the next day you do four nuggets and a bite of a burger right wow <laughs> literally like literally um, you know, and what's sad about this is one, two things, but one of them is, you know, dogs do need variety to live a long, happy, healthy life, just like we do. Sure. Right? Variety sure. is not only the spice of human life, it's the spice of all life. Yes. <laughs> not only that, dog food is of a lesser quality even than McDonald's. So at least fast food is human, right? Dogs don't even get that much from us. Wow. You know? That's, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's pretty sad. Um. It is sad. It's really sad. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the truth is I know it to be right now, pet food. Um, and my concern started after just after suddenly, or just after the sudden, sorry, loss of one of my dogs. I was oh. house-sitting. Yeah, I was house-sitting for a friend of mine. And I noticed that a world-renowned vet, somebody who I noticed or, or who I mentioned earlier, <laughs> had teamed up with a bunch of other animal healthcare professionals, Dr. Karen Becker and a bunch of other healthcare professionals, Okay. And other like-minded individuals uh, got together and they did a whole series regarding dog cancer oh, okay. and, and ketosis. So many hours of this were released to the public for free. So I'm sitting in this three-story house and it's just me and my dog. Yeah. So I decided to take part in this cancer series workshop. So like, what did I have to lose, right? Right. I spent the next year and five months studying raw pet diets extensively. 
in my that's what it sounds like <laughs> yeah oh, oh yeah oh yeah in my situation like i'm lucky enough not to need keto- ketosis i haven't dealt with canine cancer knock on every wood around me uh, yet but yeah learning the process really opened my eyes to both not only nutritional abuse and species appropriate diet diets but all kinds of other things as well and the statistics was one thing that scared me because as we talked about pet food came about in 56 uh, the pet food industry lied to us and told us that uh, the only thing that our dogs could ever eat was pet food in 64. In 1973, one out of 10 dogs had cancer. And okay. it was a disease of like, old, it was an old dog. You didn't see it, right? It was like, you know, that's, that's dogs, true. You know, old dogs died, you know, of cancer, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, uh. 2017 statistics. I'm almost afraid to look any further in the future because I haven't yet. But in 2017, the statistics were one in two dogs have cancer. Oh, my God. I have two dogs. I I have two dogs. And it's seen in dogs as young as 13 weeks old. So that's 2017. So I don't even want to look at the 2018 or 19 or, heaven forbid, 2000. Yes, 2020. (laughs) I'm going to say what it's the most statistics for right now, right? Yeah. It's scary. And what it's all about is mitochondrial stress. That's what it comes down to. Mitochondrial. What's the mitochondrial? Yeah, what is it? all have cells. Our whole body's made up of cells, right? And each cell has well Mm -hmm. not not every cell but the main cells have organelle well yeah they have organelles it's a big thing to get into but each cell has six organelles inside of it six different things yeah and the mitochondria is one out of six of the organelles that are inside of a cell and basically what they are responsible for is to generate most of the chemical energy needed to power a cell's biochemical reactions so it's the energy powerhouse of a cell Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and the idea is to keep the cells and the mitochondria of the cells safe and happy. Okay. Okay. That, that, that will help a dog stay safe and happy. Mitochondrial stressors are things that have adverse effects on your cells and each stressor that your cell is exposed to is basically a hit to the mitochondria. So it's almost like you you punch the mitochondria right in the face with a mitochondrial stressor. Okay. And the biggest mitochondrial stressor for dogs is their daily diet or their food okay if a dog's main source yeah if a dog's main source of food is kibble well kibble is full of sugar so that's a huge mitochondrial stressor right um oh yeah yeah um yeah so um cancer cancerous fuel is basically sugar yeah it is Um, yeah yeah a cancer cell will consume 200 times more more sugar than a non-cancerous cell that that's how it works right okay yeah. and of course dry food is full of sugar and i'll explain this in a minute how, how and why it's full of sugar. well i'll explain how you can figure it out for yourself there's no need of me getting into the hole but i will explain how you can figure out how much sugar is in your dog's food Absolutely, okay i will okay um this is something to take note of though 10 percent of cancer is genetic so 10 percent of it you know cancer in the lines somewhere along the way somebody in your family has cancer you may get cancer right 90 percent of cancer is caused from dog's lifestyle and environmental influences i.e from hits to the mitochondria so the diet like we talked about is the largest mitochondrial stressor to a dog so if you're feeding a dog a sugar-based diet right away boom that's one punch to your mito- your dog's mitochondrial face, right? Wow. Some dogs, like people, say, okay, so example is, okay, J- Jimmy down the waiter. 
Jimmy yeah. down the way. I'm telling you right now, Jimmy, he smoked cigarettes all his life. He's cigarettes, been drinking yeah. since he was four. Yeah, he's been <laughs> drinking since he was four. I mean, you know, he the only thing he ever drunk besides that besides beer was pizza. You know, like right, like you know, did drugs right out in front of cars, like you know, like this guy did everything, and he lived, and he was 172 when he died, right? right? <laughs> yes, that happens, and you know what? There's dogs that take hit after hit after hit after. It's called good genetics, and there's not okay. much left out there. <laughs> no, yeah, it's there was brought be. out basically, right? That's yeah. because you only hear about old Uncle Jimmy. You don't hear about you know you don't hear about that much anymore, right? That's right. So, and dogs are much the same way. So, you know, what other things, besides food, right? What other things affect a dog's mitochondrial DNA? You know, what other well, things are hit to a dog's, dog's mitochondrial DNA? What do well, you think? as soon as you said hit to their, their mitochondria and, and stressors, I thought of thunder. Well, yes, stress is right? stress to the mitochondria. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Stress is a stress. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So that is one thing. Yeah. Um, but there are other things. There's a lot of other things like radiation say. or EMS, indoor chemical loads like deodorizers, detergents, GMOs, herbicides, fertilizers, smoke, mold, topical pesticides, over vaccination, desexing too early, which is a huge thing right now. Huge. It is huge. Yeah. Um, um, they say now sometimes to wait two years, a dog has to be completely sexually mature to be sex. And they're talking about vasectomies and uh, and uh, tube ties instead of full hysterectomies and full castration. I mean, it's crazy. Um, wow. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's what they're trying to get into because actually removing everything is cancerous. It's in and of itself. Yeah. Um, in early spays and neuters can be cancerous in and of themselves. Herbicides like flea tick topicals, tainted foods, botched stem cell surgery, carcinogens, toxins, chemicals, byproducts. All these things are like punches in the face to the dog's mitochondria. And oh. every dog can only take so many punches until they fall. That's it's like true. a boxing fight. You know what I mean? There's only so much time until that person gets knocked out, right? Chaos. That's right. Come on. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's exactly how it works. So, um, you know. We can remove 90% of cancers out there. We have the ability. If we remove all those things, well, and it, you know, it would be hard to remove all the things I just spoke about. But if we start, you know, maybe we don't smoke around our dogs. Maybe yeah. we make, you know, an effort to clean up some mold around. Uh, maybe we make an effort to, um, you know, research vaccines and research the fact that sometimes the first vaccine that an animal gets is the only vaccine it ever needs. And it's only easy to figure that out. There are things called titer tests. T-I-T-E-R, titer testing. So okay. you bring your dog to the vet and it's time for vaccines. Three years are up. Yeah. Well, you wait, don't just vaccinate. Get a titer test. It does cost a little bit more. It is. It's more pricey, but it will show. It's almost like we can get them done too. It will show how many antibodies are left in your dog's system. That wow. way you can walk away and say, okay, well, he doesn't need a vaccine. And it's been shown that animals, just their first set of vaccines, those 8, 12, and 16-week vaccines are all dogs have ever needed. Uh, so yeah, I've heard... found that all they've needed is the eight-week vaccine. I've heard that. For their whole life, for their whole life. And my, my first breeder told me that years, 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 years ago, before every pet was vaccinated, she said she had pets that lived to be 20 and 30 years old, the unvaccinated yeah. ones. See? Right? Yeah. So that's a huge thing, too. There, there's things that we can do in our daily lives. You know, feed, if you, can't, if, you don't, if you can't afford to feed a fresh pet diet, well, you don't have to feed all raw you can feed some fresh and some kibble yeah. when you've got the vegetables there you know make sure you google and make sure that you know 
whatever you're feeding is safe for the most part a lot of most vegetables are safe for animals for the most part and the, the more colorful the vegetable the more nutritious well you know, like what, there's so many things we can do to remove this 90 percent. oh well listen my our our biggest dog loves apples yeah awesome, and the, awesome. We, we, it is awesome so we just we make sure to peel them because the peel apparently isn't good isn't good for their stomach and and not give them the core yeah, and the only thing wrong there and that you want to be careful of there is the sugar content. Right? Ah, with vegetables and fruit, there is sugar content along That's with true, wine. there is. There yeah, is yeah, content, yeah. Right? So you do have to be careful of that. Now, if your That's dog true. Has Thank cancer, you for that. Yeah, but if your dog, like, I mean, you know, it, 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 it can contribute to cancer, and right? But if your dog doesn't have cancer, a little bit, anything in moderation. I mean, yes. I have a chihuahua. Chihuahuas are tiny. They can only, and but their bodies can only hold so much at one time right that's so right yeah they've got to be fed constantly or you you have the issue then of hypoglycemia so, right? so now they, they don't have enough sugar right so then you get, true you get some sugar right so now i'm going to ask you what yep. do you feed your dog oh raw raw food raw yeah i feed my dog raw raw food. okay um he's on a raw diet yeah um, tell us, tell us about yeah tell us about that well, I feel, I feel a lot of tripe too. Tripe is um, basically, tripe you buy in a can at the pet store, but it's basically the inside lining of, of, a, of an animal's stomach. And it's really, really, really rich and really, really, really nutritious for your dog. Um, yeah. And, but I feed raw. So I basically, I go out, um, I get the meat myself, I crush it up myself and I balance it myself. Um, you know, just a quick... How do you balance it? It's basically an 80-10-10 balance is how you would make a dog food. So 80% is protein. Yeah. And that would be meat, a meat source. Um, generally, you would use low-fat or organic meat if you can. But you know what? Any kind of meat is better than whatever's in that bag. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> At the same time, right? So you get your meat. So, But you can't have meat without bone because there's a, there's a connection between phosphorus and um, calcium that's very, very important. And they are almost like what I would call anti-venoms to one another. Okay. Meat is full of meat is full of phosphorus, and it does have some calcium in it, but not enough calcium that it cancels out or satiates the satiates the phosphorus that's, that's in the, the the protein itself. So you do have to add bone, and that's okay. a source of calcium, and that calcium will then, of course, work with that phosphorus and do all kinds of nice, good things in your dog's body that you want it to do. So how do you add the bone then to? I actually buy it. Crush it oh, up. okay. A okay. It's a new thing. Um, I used to have to crush it myself. Like I buy chicken backs and mash them in my driveway with a metal meat mallet. Like I must have wow. been a crazy person. But <laughs> now, you can, now you can buy them in patties. And basically it's half meat, half um, bone. So you just account for that in your mat. In your mat. Cool. So yeah, 10% of it is bone. So, and then I put the, the last 10% is organ meat. And what organ meat is, you, you usually use two types of organ meat, 5% of one, 5% of the other. You can use a couple of different types if you'd like, but that is the animal's multivitamin. And that's where they get all their multi. And if you think about it, if the dog is in the wild and they're eating, <laughs> you know, a wild prey, that's about how much of the prey they're going to get. They're going to get about 80% protein, 10% bone, and 10 organ. So that's how you would work it out now that's not considered a full meal there is still supplementing that needs to be done like you know if you can use fruit and vegetables and stuff like that you can yeah. use yeah. egg i use egg i use shell stuff like that. egg is great for vitamin e shell is great for calcium and there's you know other supplements too like turmeric roots is awesome or just crushed turmeric i put crushed turmeric and it's great for um your your, your dog's gut bio 
as is pumpkin. And he eats, and he'll eat turmeric? Yeah, when it's mixed in with his little nighttime snack, yeah, he, 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 I mix it in really, really well. And cool. I mix it in, yeah, and I mix it in with pumpkin, because what it does is helps the gut bio stay nice and healthy, right? Good. Um, mushroom, mushrooms are also really good for them, but just check out the type of mushroom first um, that you're using just to make sure because some, you know, some mushrooms are poisonous to us, you know, so yes. be careful there. Yeah. Probiotics are a really great thing for dogs as well, especially if you notice diarrhea or vomiting. Probiotics usually um, straighten the gut out real quick, just like okay. a, uh, just like pumpkin wood. Okay. And also cannabis and hemp and stuff help. Uh, like I won't get into that hugely, but but that can help your dog if you know you do think you need it. Okay. I think, but yeah, yeah. Like basically, you know what? Knowledge is power, and we need to stop just believing things for what are what's said. Like everybody says, oh, you know, words over actions, but nobody like. Okay, then. Like I don't see the I don't see the action follow up to the words. Yeah, over yeah, action. yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you I get it. Your own common sense. That's yeah. great. That's great. But you do have to apply your own common sense. And unless you're going to sit down and do the research, why get the pet? Yeah, exactly. You're exactly why, right. Why? Yeah, you are. Yeah, you're no, you're right on 100% there. And you know what I think? Um, I, I honestly think we need to do another show with you as well. Like, uh, like oh, down, oh, road, yeah. down the road. So we can so we can give people even more information because you know what? Don't these four legged beautiful we call them pets, they're our family. They are, they are. They, and and they don't even have to ingratiate themselves to us. They just it just happens. Yeah, they love unconditionally and they don't know anything else. And that's just exactly what that's exactly and 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 they don't talk back. No, they're great for that. Yeah, they're they're just great all around. And they're voiceless. So they're voiceless for one animal. And I will say, you know, having said all I've said, Ron is not for everybody and it's not for every dog. And a lot of people wouldn't use it for a chihuahua because they would think, my God, why? Like, but... I, I find my dog is way healthier. I've heard, you know, I've heard of horror stories of kibble, raw, cooked. I've heard horror stories of every single kind of dog. Yeah. But a great medium is cooked. Like if you're too nervous to do raw, because I know the first time I gave my dog raw, I called every person I knew who had a dog <laughs> and made them swear to me that he was not going to die. Because he only was <laughs> 10 weeks old and I was frightened <laughs> to death. It's the scariest thing you will ever do in your life. I bet. It's rewarding, but it's not for every dog at the same time. There's a lot of work oh, to it, too, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And right now, it's so outside the box that it's scary. Like, every time my dog throws up, it's like, and it doesn't happen often, like, you know, normal. I grab the thermometer, and, and I've got, the, <laughs> you know, my vet's number in front of me. And I'm doing a full physical on them. It's like, yeah. I go, because it's so outside the box. And what's scary yeah, is there's only one vet that I can call in this whole of city that can help me with what, you know, who won't say, oh, it's the diet. Your dog's going to die. Honest. Are you serious? Yeah, there's do they, a vet I can call. Yeah. Do they do, that, do vets actually say that? Well, more so sometimes. Yeah, in not so many words. Yeah. yeah they, they honest like, to God. Yeah, they don't believe in it, and it's because of the training, right? Like they're they're, they're indoctrinated to believe one thing and one thing only. And exactly. Yeah. It's it's in it's in their training and everything. So what can you do? Like. I think that we're going to see a different tune sung when raw pet food companies start paying the vets like the other pet food companies. Oh, there you go. There you go. Starting. There you go. That's when it'll happen. Once they start feeding, once they start paying the vets and training the vets, I think we're going to see a big shift. But until then, it's 
oh, outside the box and scary at times, like I say, but very rewarding. But I think it's people like you who are going to get raw food companies on the go talking. We because because we need to talk about it. It needs yeah. to be talked about. Knowledge is power. Exactly. Like, you, know I mean? you, you hear something and then like if it interests you, take note. Google it after. Google if you don't believe that source, look at another source. Cross reference your sources. Make sure you're not looking at you know some yeah. some unreliable. Like make sure it's a reliable source. Make sure you've seen that study done a couple of times and you've seen that kind of research a couple of times. You know it's only it's not that hard to do really. No, it's not. We, no. we know the big names when we see them. Yeah, you know we know what's reliable and what isn't for the yeah. most part. I mean you know a lot of us are fed bullshit. You know, and, and, you know, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Us, but, you know, we yeah. know what basically what's reliable in, in you know, society and stuff. And, and, you know, you just you take it from there. It's not, that, it's not being a I'm not, you know, Dr. Google or anything like this. It's just, you know, common sense mixed with, you know, research from from reliable sources like. Dr. Exactly. Dr. Like, 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 you, like, you like Jane Goodall. Yeah. 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 Knowledge is power. Yeah. Knowledge is power, like definitely. So much, like I can't say that enough. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I am going to say thank you ever so much for all of this information today, Robin, and we will have you back on if you will come. <laughs> Anytime, I will come. Thank you very much for having me. Oh well, excellent. All right, we <laughs> will talk later. Awesome. Have a great day, evening. You as well. <laughs> Bye now. Okay. thank you robin for that information (laughs) things that make you go what honest to goodness there was a there was a lot of information in there so Sounds like we've got another guest that we'll need to talk to further about our fur babies. I do so enjoy talking, and you never know what you're going to learn. It's week to week, day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, whatever. We always manage to learn something. So thank you again, Robin, for that information. And yes, we will have you back on a further show if you decide that you will want to come back. So that's my show for this week. Come back again next week for another episode. Will there be a guest? Sure, who knows. But one thing I do know, (laughs) this one, me, I am not going to stop talking. Thank you for listening, everyone, and have a fabulous week. Bye now.